today on Media Download. From Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. With the second presidential debate now behind us and the third and final one just days away on October 19th, we're counting down to four weeks from today when Election Day ends what might be the longest and most intensely dramatic presidential campaign in American history. Joining me to assess the situation one month from Election Day is best-selling author, MSNBC analyst, and Daily Beast columnist Jonathan Alter. Jonathan is also the co-host of Sirius XM show Alter Family Politics, and today he's here with us to help bring context to Sunday's debate and the election season ahead of us and behind us. Last Friday, uh, we witnessed what is likely to be just the first batch of previously undisclosed Donald Trump audios, and we'll discuss them as well. John, one almost doesn't know where to start, but we shall. <laughs> so we're Thanks just a few. Me <laughs> we're, we're, uh, it's a pleasure. It's great to have you. Uh, we're just a few days after that second debate, and uh, I assume you share the conventional wisdom that it was a clear political win for Hillary Clinton, and the early polls suggest that that's the case. How did you read the debate Sunday, and how do you read it today? Well, you know, my, my reaction at the time, which hasn't changed, is that you know, every time uh, you think that uh, Donald Trump isn't going to go lower and more odious and more revolting, uh, he clears the bar. He exceeds expectations, and, and he takes us down even further. And, you know, um, I think uh, even people unlike me who are not paid to express their opinions are feeling like this is a, a, just a, an election where um, the journalistic interest in truth-telling outweighs any um, uh, requirement for balance. The balance is very important, but that our first requirement is to tell the truth, and the truth is that this man is a menace to the United States. You've been outspoken uh, and clearly so for some time about your views of, on, of Donald Trump. You described him in a tweet the other day as um, the most revolting major political figure in American history. Uh, strong stuff. Um, why do you feel so strongly? Well, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, I could I could give you a a string of adjectives to uh, describe him, but, you know, he's a demagogue, and he appeals to our worst instincts in a country where, fortunately, for more than 200 years, even when we had presidents who were slaveholders, you know, with the context, within the context of their own uh, times, they tried to appeal to our, what Abraham Lincoln called the better angels of our nature, um, and... Occasionally, we would have a demagogue who ran as a third-party candidate, like George Wallace, in 1968 and briefly in 1972 before he was shot. But even then, Wallace, who had been a you know racist demagogue as governor of Alabama, um, reined it in 
in the presidential campaigns, he spoke mostly in code words, and he didn't do anything like say that you know his opponents should be locked up. Um, that's uh, banana republic stuff that Trump was doing in that debate, saying Hillary, should, you know, if he was president, he would send her to jail. It's why so many Republicans have been revolted and disgusted by uh, the kinds of things that he's saying, and you know, the denigration of everybody, not just women and Muslims and immigrants, but uh, you know, people in his own party who haven't done anything wrong, uh, anybody in the world except Vladimir Putin, who he's obviously in business with, um, you know, is is frightening. We just haven't we haven't seen uh, anything like this before. And I'm you know I'm a student of the American presidency, and I could bore all your listeners by going through uh, every uh, you know uh, campaign going back to 1788. Um, but we just we've just never seen this. It's 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 way we've seen people in the primaries maybe who uh, who said outrageous things. Uh, but we've never seen anybody this close to the presidency who's this outside the boundaries, outside the norms of our political discourse. And yet, uh, you know, all this surprises all of us at some level. Um, it was not, it could not be predicted. And now much of the uh, historic, or at least the immediate historic analysis, is about how out of touch as a country we are with one another and how out of touch a media is that could not foresee this level of angst and anger among the population. And even today, among white college-educated men, Trump has a seven-point lead, according to the poll from The Atlantic this week. How do you assess the sociology of this? Well, first of all, if you look just at that group, white college-educated men, and uh, Romney carried them heavily, uh, by much, much more than seven points. So, But I'm not making um, a horse race point. I'm making yeah, a sociology you know, I'm just point. That there's not any, I, I don't think, you know, basically anybody who went to college, um, you know, if they, uh, they are disproportionately uh, against Trump this time. So there's not, he's not making any gains there. He's made enormous gains with non-college educated Americans, especially white men. Um, and and there is tremendous anger there, and it is, in some ways, justifiable anger because uh, a lot of folks have been left out, um, not just in the recovery since 2008 and, and the Great Recession when uh, the top 1% recovered quite nicely and everybody else was uh, seeing stagnated income, not just since then, but over the last 20 to 30 years, where you you have seen a lot of jobs that have moved overseas, and the politicians in both parties really ignoring how a large chunk of the middle class um, was uh, neglected, um, and politicians weren't speaking for them. Uh, and I think um, this, you know, Trump's great insight was that the Republican Party had not been representing um, those folks and have been um, sort of taking for granted um, that the uh, the so-called conservative base would go along with what party elites uh, were advocating, like uh, free trade, um, when, when in fact, you know, they felt that uh, none of the elites were uh, representing them. I, I just did a... Um, 
a book review in last Sunday's New York Times book review of a of a book called The Populist Explosion by John Judas um, that talks about the um, the surge in in populism on both sides of the Atlantic uh, in the wake of the of the Great Recession. And we have left wing populism that you know was uh, represented by Bernie Sanders, and then we have right wing populism, which in the United States right now is being represented by Trump and. Left-wing populism focuses more on banks and uh, financial elites, and right-wing populism, uh, like all populism, you know, uh, it has a language of anger against elites, but it's more directed at political elites and includes uh, a third element uh, to be scapegoated. There's a scapegoating in, in right-wing pop- populism, which comes to the fore uh, when there are uh, problems with terrorism or crime or uh, somebody to blame uh, for our problems, and this is a very old, uh, a very old tradition. And you kind of meld that with the appeal that strong men have always had for certain segments of the of the population. There are always people who want to bow down to the strong man, and you throw in a third element, which is that Americans are besotted with uh, entertainment; they just love anything to do with show business. So you have this sort of merging of uh, reality TV and, and, and entertainment and, and politics, which has been underway for some time. But, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan was a piker compared to Donald Trump in, in melding entertainment and, and politics. So you take all three of those elements, the right-wing uh, populism, uh, the... Um, uh, the fact that uh, elites have been neglecting um, uh, these uh, parts of the middle class for so long, and um, and Trump's uh, celebrity insight that a very strong entertainer can change the dialogue, and you have a almost like a black swan situation, as they as they call it, a really unusual, unprecedented political situation. There's so many parts of this that are great fodder for journalists and political scientists and scholars of all kinds, including the remarkable crumbling of norms in Republican politics, and you might even say in uh, political party history, period. What do you make of the feud now between the Republican senior elites, if you will, and the candidate? And where does that leave that party? Well, um, First of all, it's a very tepid uh, and late response. It's sort of too little, too late. Um, but I think you're going to see a party that is divided between the never Trumps and the Trump enablers. And the never Trumps uh, are uh, conservatives and um, Republicans of all sorts, for whom I have real respect, because for many months now they've been saying, stating the obvious which is this man is unfit to be president. And, you know, it includes the Bush family and uh, a lot of other people who, uh, who who saw this. Then you had another group that was putting party ahead of country, and they that was the choice. They knew that he was a con man. Marco Rubio said he was a con man. Then they supported him anyway. Well, if you support somebody you know is a con man, that's putting party ahead of country, and that is unpatriotic. If you're not very well informed and you actually think Donald Trump is okay and you love him, fine. Uh, I'm not going to say you're a deplorable person. 
But if you know that he's unfit for office and support him anyway, I got a real problem with that, which means a real problem with a tremendous number of Republicans who did not do the right thing all these months. Now, as far as Paul Ryan, I think he got, you know, he got off the boat just in time uh, to maintain his uh, credibility next year uh, if Hillary Clinton is president. I don't think that it will have as many long-lasting effects as some other analysts do. I think the Trump campaign uh, will be looked back on as just a bad dream, a nightmare, and everybody will try to change the subject to uh, the present and the future. But it, it, you know, it leaves deep wounds in that party because you have now what you have going into this election is you have Trump um, supporters who in the last few days are turning their fury on their own party. Um, for abandoning Trump. And you even have some who say that uh, uh, they'll vote for Trump and then they won't vote for the um, uh, down-ballot Republicans, uh, which is the opposite of what Paul Ryan and others are now urging, which is to leave the top line blank and vote for the down-ballot Republicans. If that happens, if you either have dampened turnout, where a lot of Republicans say, the hell with it, I'm not going to go to the polls, or they don't want to take the instructions of their elites and vote for the down-ballot Republicans, then you could have a wave election where uh, the Senate clearly went Democratic and the House, if it didn't, um, the new uh, margin would be very, very small. So, And not to mention what could happen in state legislatures around the country if there's a, a wave election. Uh, the Democrats lost uh, uh, 780 state legislative seats in the election of 2010, which was an extraordinarily important election in our national life because it was the best election for the Republicans since 1924 and and at the state and local level. So one of the outcomes of this is that that uh, tremendous advance that Republicans made in, in 2010 and then it was bolstered in the next midterms in 2014 some of that might be reversed if uh, if Hillary wins by a large enough margin. Uh, last topic, and we're we're almost out of time on our our loose schedule here. Um, what is the country? Let's assume for a moment that we don't have the wave election. It is uh, highly likely, um, obviously, that uh, we'll be inaugurating uh, President Clinton on January twentieth. And it's also, I think, highly likely that Trump will do everything he can to suggest that. The election is rigged or somehow otherwise illegitimate. What does she face in at least the beginning stages of her presidency? Well, it all depends on the margin. So if she wins comfortably, uh, then, uh, you know, Trump can say anything he wants. Like he said that he won the debate, you know, even though all, all polls are showing that he didn't. Both times he said he won the debate. And it'll just be sort of like the Wicked Witch. I'm melting, I'm melting, and people will walk away from him. He'll be a loser, which is the biggest insult of all that he has, and nobody will pay him uh, much mind. If it's a close election, uh, and he argues that it was rigged, then we're going to be in a world of hurt um, politically, um, because he will be attacking the very legitimacy of our small d democratic institutions which is something that we have not seen recall how al gore you know when he lost by a few hundred votes um and and the the recount was finally completed you know he he conceded now he didn't concede on election night and he was right not to because it was too close 
but he did not try to say that, you know, the Supreme Court was corrupt, and even though he terribly objected to the decision that they made, and he sucked it up and spoke for the country. We can't expect Donald Trump to do that. So, um, you know, one of the things that I pray for is that uh, there's a very uh, significant uh, Clinton victory. By the way, there's a lot wrong with Hillary Clinton. You know, I expect that we'll all be very busy um, analyzing uh, all of uh, her uh, shortcomings after uh, the present danger is confronted. Well, I'm sure you'll view that as a good problem to have, and uh, uh, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll be facing that problem on January 20th. Um, so, uh, John, thank you. You're an active part of the Montclair and Montclair State community, and we appreciate all that you do for our school, including uh, joining us on this podcast. So thank you. Well, thanks. I really I love Montclair State, and I, I taught there uh, in the spring semester and, uh, and love everything about uh, what you're doing there. So good luck. That's very kind of you. Thank you. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.